So for the last several weeks, we've been in a series titled In Defense of Faith, where we are studying the, the letter that the Apostle Jude wrote to the church. We're not exactly sure where this congregation is located necessarily, but what we do know is that the, the, the warnings that Jude provides in, in the book, uh, in, in that one chapter that he writes, um, is not only uh, beneficial to the, that, that particular body at that time, but really is, is a message that we all need to take, account, uh, take into account for our time today because the responsibility of defending, standing up for, um, giving uh, explanation to why we believe what we believe falls on our shoulders. It is not the responsibility of a few or a handful of folks. Um, God has called all of us to be responsible with, with this task of defending our faith. And as I was preparing today's message, because we've, we've been going over the last few weeks systematically through that chapter, um, I, I came across some research that, that was partly troubling, but at the same time also motivating, and I hope it'll, you'll feel the same way. Did you know that as our world has become increasingly globalized and interconnected, that there is a growing number of people particularly here in the United States, who, while identifying as practicing Christians, are increasingly embracing a worldview that reflects the world's thinking more so than it reflects the Bible's teaching. And as I was preparing today's message, I came across a survey that was done by the Barner Research Group. This is a research group that's been around for many, many years. And in 2018, they interviewed 1,500 individuals who identified as professing Christians. So in other words, they met the criteria of they attend church at least once a month, and they consider their faith to be very important in their lives. And amongst these 1,500 individuals that this Barner Research Group interviewed, they found that there was a growing acceptance of ideas that are in direct conflict with the Word of God. For example, 38% said they agreed with certain teachings from the Quran. 61% said they agreed with ideas that were based on New Age spirituality. 28% said they strongly agreed that all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. 23% said they believed what was morally right or wrong could depend on what each individual believed. Again, we are talking about people who profess to be Christians. And then here's the one that, that I struggled with the most. 15% said they believed that if a person's beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, then that belief is wrong. Now, it might be convenient for us to say this morning, Pastor John, I don't accept those views, nor do I know any Christian who thinks like this. But here's a sober reality that I think it is important that we all must pay attention to, and it is this. That even though there may be a minority within the church, or at least people who profess to be Christians, who embrace ideas or teachings that contradict the scriptures, the reality is, is that what it does point to is the fact that false teaching, no matter how, how few it might affect within the church, it is still dangerous. It will always pose a constant threat to the influence of the gospel, not just in the lives of believers, but also in the lives of people who we are looking to reach for Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, Jesus, in one of his many sermons that he would preach, he warned about what he called the destructive influence of false teaching by the religious establishment. The phrase he used specifically was, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, or in other words, he was using the, the some translations use the word yeast. And he was talking about that the need to be, to be careful with the influence that we allow, or that the audience at the time was allowing the Pharisees and the Sadducees to have on their lives. And, and it was for this reason, 
these men who were supposed to be the, uh, in a sense, defenders of the faith, who were supposed to be the ones that were helping, uh, helping God's people know how to, you know, get closer to God, relate with God, uh, become more and more like the Lord, appear to be more concerned with maintaining the outward appearance of religion while they were ignoring the important matter of transparent devotion before God. And then years later, with the establishment of the church, Christ has gone back to heaven. We see throughout the New Testament in the writings of the apostles um, who wrote the books we read in the New Testament, this evidence that uh, false teaching was still um, exerting some, some form of influence within the church. And there was a constant need to remind the believers to be on their guard against these false teachings. And in the book of Jude, we've been reading for the last several weeks, this was the case where we see Jude warning believers about the danger of ignoring those who promote false teaching among them. I want to focus on verse 17 to verse 20, uh, 23 this morning, but we're gonna. But but the, today's message is really gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be focused specifically on verse 22. In verse 17, uh, the writer Jude says, "But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you that in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you." who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We focused on that verse last week, what it means to be rooted in God's love. In the verses I just read, we see Jude emphasizing two, two, one side of, of, a, of, of, of two issues that we must pay attention to. Number one, in our, in, in our call to defend our faith, we must focus first on what God wants to do in us, but then what God wants to also do through us. So today we're going to focus on now what God wants to do through us. Last week we learned that God says we are to keep ourselves rooted in His love so that we are able to stand up to uh, false teaching, uh, false doctrine and its influence, so we're able to resist it. Today we're going to look at how God says He wants to use us to, bring, to, de to, to defend the faith in the lives of others. In verse 22, Jude writes, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them in from the fire. And then to others, he says, show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing that is stained by corrupted flesh. We're going to focus on verse 22. Jude says, be, be merciful. Everybody say merciful. Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. How many of you have ever had an experience before where you had a doubt? It could be about anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be about faith. It could just be about just everyday stuff, experiences in life, right? We all experience doubt. And I think doubt, is, doubt can be a healthy um, response to what we're confronted with because what doubt does is it causes us to, uh, to, to, to think through, right? To process um, what we're about to engage or experience so that we make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, um, you know, when it comes to our faith, so, you know, I remember growing up, you know, in, back in Nigeria, there was one particular Sunday, um, I, I went to Sunday school, and I had to have been, I don't think I was even 10 yet, um, and I remember going to church, you know, we, had, we were in this big, big hall, almost about the size of this room, and I, you know, I was one of those kids that would sit in the back. Of course, I, I would sit in the back so I could be talking while the teacher was, <laughs> was teaching, um, but I remember there was one particular day she was teaching on a subject and I remember raising my hand and asking a question and for whatever reason, maybe it was the way I asked the question, 
she interpreted my question as almost as if I was questioning uh, the, the integrity of the word and she responded to me that a true believer would not doubt or would not question God's word and of course I felt bad because I'm thinking well I guess that means I'm not a not a true Christian so of course I, 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 I was not motivated to ask questions I was not motivated to 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 dig deeper when it comes to the faith and what it means to be a follower of Christ and, and that affected me and there are a lot of people who, who you know, they, they, they've gone through a similar experience where they've been given the impression that everything that you read in God's Word, you just simply accept um, and that you, you don't question, you don't, you, don't, you don't try to figure out, okay, what does this mean and, and how do I apply it to my life? Doubt sometimes happens because of different experiences we have. Maybe, you're, maybe, you, maybe you've not experienced it before, but I've experienced times where I experienced what I call a crisis of faith. I went through an event or an experience or a, a struggle, and I found myself questioning God, questioning God, do you, do you love me? God, do you care about me? God, what good could possibly come out of this situation that I find myself in? Uh, God, are you, are you even listening as I'm praying to you? God, are you going to answer and, and address this need in my life? There are times where we find ourselves questioning um, God, we question the word and, and, and we're struggling internally and, and there needs to be a freedom to express to God, God, I'm struggling because the reality is, is that not everything that, that we read in God's word about God or about his ways makes sense to us. And, and, and I'm grateful that our Heavenly Father gives us the freedom to express with honesty and transparency, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. But to trust that when we come to God in sincerity of heart, not because, not because we are, we're trying to, to find a way to, 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 to nullify what He stands for, who He is, but that we truly want to know, we want to understand, we want to grow, that God is willing to meet us. And that God is willing to reveal truth to us so that we are the better for it. But, but you know, Jude is telling the believers here that, that amongst you there are individuals who, because they've been exposed to false teaching, um, that, that now they find themselves questioning, you know, what I first believed when Jude came and he shared the gospel with me, um, is, it still, is it still the truth? And, and naturally it would be easy for us to say, well, I mean, if, if you first came to faith in Christ and now you find yourself questioning the teachings of Christ because of some other false teaching you're hearing, that it means that you're not even serious to begin with and to just discount people or to, as it were, we throw them aside. But that's not what God's word is asking us to do. Jude says that those who doubt among you you must be merciful to them. But here's the thing though, being merciful to those who doubt is not the way we tend to think of mercy. And, and what I want to do in these next very quick few minutes is to address how we show mercy to those who doubt. Again, we're focusing on verse 22 where Jude says, be merciful. Everybody say merciful. Be merciful to those who doubt. There are three things that I believe that you and I can, can do to demonstrate mercy to those who are struggling in their faith. In the same way that when we are struggling in our faith, that we would hope that they would be that um, channel of God's grace and mercy and blessing in our lives to encourage us as we navigate through those times of doubt. The first thing that, that I believe the scripture shows us that we are to do with those who doubt is that we show mercy by sharing empathy with, with them for the struggle that they're in. For most people, the word empathy conjures up images of sympathy for someone else. Maybe they're going through a hard time, a, a tough situation. But, but I believe that there is so much more to empathy than just sympathy, than just pity. Empathy is defined in the dictionary as making the effort 
to try to understand another person's perspective, their feelings, or their experience. But I want you to note that in this definition, these are not what empathy represents. Number one, empathy is not simply feeling sorry for someone. Number two, empathy is not simply agreeing with everything a person chooses to do. Empathy is not protecting their feelings from the harshness of, of truth or even reality. And finally, empathy is not about trying to untangle their issues so that you can solve it for them. Empathy is simply about putting yourself in another person's shoes. It's like the story I heard about a little girl who was sent on an errand by her mom and she was late coming back uh, to, from the errand and when she got back, her mom asked her for an explanation. The child explained that as she was on her way back home, she noticed that one of her classmates had fallen and broken her doll that she has, and so she stopped to help her. Wondering what the daughter could, could do to even help the friend whose doll had broken, the mom asked her, what did you do? To which the little girl replied simply, I just sat down and I helped her cry. I just sat down and I helped her to cry. Empathy is when we, when, when, we, when we are willing to come alongside a person and say, um, I understand what you're going through. I, 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 I can relate to the hardship you're feeling. I can see why you are finding yourself struggling with trusting God based on the things that are happening in your life. But here's the beauty about empathy. Empathy is about us coming alongside that individual and saying that there is hope. Even though you may be helpless in a situation, but you are not hopeless. And, and the reality is that there are many in the church today who are struggling in their faith. And, and they're afraid to express those, those, those questions or the struggles because they're concerned that if they do so, that they'll be judged as not really being serious about their faith or not really being committed to Christ. And so what they do is they bottle up within them the struggles that they're fighting with. And here's the problem. As long as it doesn't get resolved, then that person will never move Move, 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 move past that struggle. But even, even a greater concern that I have is this. If a person does not learn to address the doubts and the concerns that they have, especially as they're trying to balance you know, their daily life experiences with what the scripture teaches or promises, what happens is this. The enemy can come into that situation and begin to sow seeds um, that convince it to, to the point where the person is convinced that trusting God, following God, uh, looking to Him to provide direction is not worth it. And how many people have turned from their faith? Why? Because they did not find an outlet to express the struggle that they were dealing with internally, or even worse, that others responded to them in a harsh and an unmerciful way. Jesus tells a story in the Bible, in, in Scripture, about a, 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 an unmerciful servant who was who was forgiven of a, of a great debt. He owed money he could not, he could not possibly repay in, in his lifetime and many lifetimes beyond that. And the scripture says that the king had every right to have this man thrown in jail and he intended to do that. And when this, this servant began to plead for the king to have mercy on him, the king not only not, didn't just stay uh, the, the repayment of this debt, he wiped it out completely. And you would have thought that this man, when he left that scene, rejoicing at what God had allowed him, oh, the, the, the mercy that he had experienced at the hand of, this, of this, this king, he comes across another servant who owes, who owes him a pittance compared to what he had just been forgiven of. And rather than reciprocate what he had received from somebody else, he chose instead to do what, what somebody else had every right to do to him, but did not. And when the king heard what he had done, the king called this man back. And he basically said to him in the form of a question, Shouldn't you 
have shown mercy to your fellow servant just as I had shown mercy to you. Empathy. Empathy recognizes that, you know what? You're going through a struggle in your faith. You're finding yourself questioning whether God is, God is listening, God is there. And that we're able to come alongside that person and say, you know what? I've been there before. I've experienced what you experienced. I've felt the way you felt. And yet I'm, I can tell you that God has brought me through that. I can tell you that God has seen me through that struggle. Empathy is about sharing, mercy is about sharing empathy with a person for their struggle. But it's not, it doesn't just stop there. That's the first step. Not only do we share empathy with that person that's struggling in their faith, but the second step is we need to show mercy by exercising patience in spite of their faults. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, Paul writes to the church, he says to them, Be humble and be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, once again, I want to point out to you what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that when you see a flaw or a fault in another, that you simply ignore it. Or that you turn the other cheek and well, let that pass his responsibility, let him figure that out. No, mercy is us coming alongside a person, recognizing that just as they're a work in progress, I'm a work in progress. And when I come alongside a person to encourage them, it's not because I have necessarily overcome. I may still be going through my own struggles. I may still be having stuff that I'm dealing with, that, I'm, that God, is working, God is working with me you know, to overcome, but that I'm willing to come alongside a person and encourage them and say, listen, God is able to, God is able to meet you in a place and point of need. And, and, and even though you may be struggling, you keep moving forward. Because here's the truth, friends. Every one of us, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, are a work in progress. You can look at, you may have been working with, walking with Christ for 50 years. You are, who you are today is not who you are 50 years ago when you first came to Christ. That is, that is the hope that you are growing, that the longer you're walking with Christ, that you're growing your relationship with Christ. But God is not finished with you yet. You know, I, 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 usually when I hear people, people brag about how long they've been Christians, I'm, I, I, I tend to just smirk inside because I'm thinking, you're, you're thinking that numerical or you know, chronological you know, uh, length is, is, is equals maturity. No, there are people who have been, who have been believers for, for decades and yet they're not growing. So it, it, the issue is not how long you've been walking with the Lord, but it's, it's recognizing that, that no matter how long you walk with Christ, that, God, that there's more that God wants to do in your life. So when we come alongside a person who is struggling and we exercise patience with them despite their faults, what we're saying is don't give up. Keep pressing, keep, keep pushing. Yes, there have been times where you, you, you swore you would never do it again and you find yourself doing it again and you're crying out to God, God help me, God next time I won't do it again. And, 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 and sometimes it gets to a point where the enemy begins to chirp in your ear and tell you, you know what, you keep saying that over and over, you keep apologizing to God over and over. Maybe, maybe you're not really serious, maybe, maybe, maybe following Christ is not really in the cards for you or, or maybe you don't have what it takes to truly be a, the kind of disciple that God is looking for. The enemy will look for ways to try to discourage us from, 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 from making progress in our walk with the Lord. But it is important that when we recognize that we have a brother or sister who is struggling in their faith, or maybe going through a hardship that's causing them to question God, that, that we are able to come alongside of them and say, hey, listen, you're struggling, but don't give up. You're a work in progress. We keep pressing forward. We keep trusting God to work in our lives and to help us to grow beyond our struggles. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is to make allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because, because again, it's an opportunity for us to express God's love to each other. And here's the third thing that we see um, Jude point to. Um, for those, 
in how we respond to those who doubt, we are to show mercy by modeling devotion to the Lordship of Christ. It is so important, friends, that we realize that it's more than what we say, but it's how we live that speaks to people's lives. I mean, we, 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 we can share testimony after testimony after testimony um, of what God has done in our past, but if we are not modeling faith in God today, friends, it doesn't matter what God has done in the past. It doesn't matter what we talk about has happened in the past. Are people able to see a, a man or woman who is modeling devotion to Christ no matter what they are going through today? Here's a phrase I want you to remember. Every time you find yourself confronted with the needs or struggles in others, and the tendency would be to want to judge them for their, uh, their lack of faith or, their, or their, the fact that they're not growing like they should. Here's the, here's the statement. Faith inspires faith. Everybody say with me this morning. Faith inspires faith. Say it again. Faith inspires faith. What does that mean? Your faith, your faith, your commitment to the Lord is a, is a seed that God can use. Sown in the heart of another who may be struggling to remind them that you know what? It is not too late to get it, it is not late to keep pressing into God and allowing Him to do what He wants to do in your life. When they see your example, they are motivated to not give up, they're motivated to not, to not just uh, assume that everything is that the way things are is the way it will always be. Because, but, but when they see you modeling devotion to Christ, that they are motivated to pursue Christ as well. I told you this before, when I came to faith in Christ, it was because I had peers who modeled devotion to Jesus. And when I saw them, I saw the way they lived, I saw how, how you know, a desire to live for Christ shaped their decisions and their choices. And here, here I was, one who grew up going to church, who identified as a Christian, and yet I was not living for the Lord. I was, I, was, I mean, every, about every choice was, a, was, was in, in, in a sense, a, a compromise on the things that Christ stood for. And it bothered me that, that, that I, could, I could profess to know Christ and others can profess to know Christ. And yet we're moving in two different directions. And I said, God, I am done playing games. And I truly want to walk with you in fellowship. And, and it was because of the example of my peers. And I thank God to this day that there are students who are committed to living for Christ, even if they were in the minority. Even if it was not popular, even if, even if everybody else, even if the cool, the cool students were the ones who were doing the things that, that did not honor God or please God, they became that model for me of what it means to be devoted to Christ, and it inspired me. And every single day, we are challenged, friends, to be the same for somebody. You don't know who is watching you. You don't know who is listening to the things you say. You don't know who, who is witnessing how you live your life. And they may never come to you to ever tell you that, it, that you've, you're inspiring them to pursue Christ. I want to challenge you this morning to be faithful. Be faithful. Live for the Lord. Be devoted to Him because you are inspiring someone. You, friend, are inspiring someone. And, and, and especially someone that, that may be struggling. Maybe they're questioning what it you know, is. You know, there has to be more to being a Christian than simply going to church. There has to be more to being a Christian than simply praying, praying, you know, praying grace over a meal. That there has to be more to being a Christian than simply telling God, this is what I need you to do for me. That there's so much more to being a Christian than the things that we, we tend to only want to focus on. But that when they watch our lives and they, they, they hear us talk about the Lord and, and they see that it's not just talk, but it, there's a genuine passion and love for God that drives us and motivates us to sacrifice everything just, just, just so that we, we please Him. That, that it motivates them to want to do the same. How many people inspired you to come to faith in Christ? 
That you can look back and say, you know what? This person, this person, this person was a catalyst that God used to help me come to Jesus. Are you willing to be the same for somebody else? Because there are people who are watching you. There are people who are looking to you for that example. I love how Titus puts it in Titus chapter 2 verse 7. Because he's writing to the, the church and he's, he's rejoicing with them because of their willingness to be models of devotion to Christ. Look at what he says. He says, you receive the message with joy. So you came to faith in Christ because you heard the gospel and you embraced it with joy in your hearts. In this way, Titus says, you imitated both us and the Lord. And then in verse 7, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece. He's saying that because, because these group of believers received the gospel with joy and then they chose to live out that gospel, that they became an example to others. So in other words, people, believers in other parts of the world were hearing about these group of believers and how they were devoted to God and how God was using them and how the church was growing and how they were having an impact in the community and people were being added to the faith every day and they were motivated. They didn't just simply say, oh, good for them. But they were inspired. If God can work in them, then God can certainly work in me. If God can work through them, then God can certainly work through me. We need to be saying that again, friends, today. That if God can work through the individuals he, that he, he did incredible things through in the scriptures we read about, that God can do the same in us and through us today. Is that your desire this, today, friends? That in your job, in your school, for those of you that are students, in your neighborhood, in your community, your circle of influence, that you're saying, God, I want to be a model of devotion to Christ. Not that I'm perfect. Not that I'm perfect. Not that I'm trying to present this air of like I don't struggle or I don't have issues or, or that God has done working on me. But that I'm committed to being an example of what it means to pursue Christ. And, 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 and even, as, even as I pursue Christ, I allow him to work in me and to work through me for his glory. Why does all of this matter? Why, why is it important to Jude that he would say to the believers, be merciful to those who doubt. And this is why. Because Satan is always working to undermine the influence of the gospel in the hearts of individuals. And he doesn't just seek, seek to do that only outside the church. He seeks to do that in the church as well. Why does this matter? Because there will always be people around us who need to be encouraged to make knowing Christ their greatest interest. The people who are on the fence, who are wondering, will Christ be satisfied with a, half, with, with a half-hearted commitment? Will he, be, will he be okay if I just simply practice religion but, but don't necessarily experience the power of that religion of, of that of, of, of a relationship with him why does this matter because you and I stand as living witnesses to the power of the gospel to change lives because it has changed your life it has changed my life you know what God has done in you and there are others that need to see it as well they need to hear it they need to hear about it they need to see it modeled and your willingness to be, as it were, a catalyst that God can use to bless and to encourage those who are struggling is an act of mercy. So again, I challenge you to those who doubt, share empathy, exercise patience, model devotion. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor John, you know what? Be before we even talk about what God would even use me to do in somebody else, I just need to admit that I'm struggling right now. Again, I remind you, you might feel helpless, but you're never hopeless. You can call on the Lord today and allow him to resolve that chaos that's within your own heart. 
The uncertainty of whether you're truly right with God, whether you truly know Him, whether you're truly walking with Him. You can resolve that today by simply saying, God, I want you. I want to know you. I want to walk in relationship with you. I want nothing to separate me from the knowledge of your love for me. Here's the reality, friends. I mean, God's desire is that you and I don't simply see our relationship as, as a means to an end, where it's about what we get what we want from God, but that we see a relationship with God as an opportunity for us to, to, to be acquainted with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to be connected in a deep relationship with Him, and to have that relationship change us so that we're able to be catalysts for God bringing change in somebody else's life. This is what it means to be the church, friends. And this is how we are to defend our faith. As I was thinking about what are some practical things that we can do beyond today's message, here are some that came to mind. After we leave this place, we must be committed to interceding for fellow believers, friends, that God would guard their hearts, protect them from untruth or from, from distorted teaching that would undermine the influence of the gospel in their lives. When we leave this place, we need to step, we willing to step outside of our relational comfort zones. Who, 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 there may be that person in your job, in your school, in your neighborhood that maybe you've been resistant to the opportunity to be a witness to them, to build relationship with them so that you can be able to share Christ with them, not just with your words, but with your life as well. Be willing to step outside of your relational comfort zone. Seek ways to be used by God to build up your fellow believer. And here's the last point where you may feel concerned about what, it, what might be going on in somebody's life. Rather than simply hope that somebody else will, 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 will reach out to them, prayerfully ask the Lord to lead you in reaching that person. And step into that person's world, step into their lives, and encourage them. Sometimes it's something as simple as simply saying, hey, the Lord put you in my heart, I don't know why, but I just want to pray with you. Not, not I will pray for you and then hope that you don't forget, but that right then and there you grab their hands and you pray with them. And you stand in the gap for them. God's desire, friends, is that we show mercy to those who are struggling. And can I tell you, in the church today, there are many believers who are struggling. They are struggling. And it is not just the responsibility of a few. It is our responsibility. We are family. You are my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I pray that, that, you, would, that you would look out for me with the same level of commitment and concern that I believe God has called me to look out for you. We need each other. We cannot do this without each other. I want to invite you to buy his with me this morning as we close. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the word's invitation to us, Lord. Very simple terms. Be merciful to those who doubt. God, thank you because your word is not asking us to condone. It's not asking us to excuse. It's not asking us to justify, Lord, the things that may cause doubt in a person's heart. What your word is asking us to do is to come alongside our brother or our sister who might be struggling in their faith, especially when that struggle is because they're, uh, they're hearing teaching that contradicts the truth that they first believed in. Rather, rather than judge, rather than question, rather than put them down, Father, you ask us to show mercy. And God, I pray that you would give us grace to do that, to be that for each other. God, I thank you because, Lord, the responsibility, God, of sharing our faith, defending our faith, rests on all of our shoulders. And God, I pray that we will take up that mantle with boldness and with courage, depending on the Holy Spirit, to enable us to do and to be what you've called us to be and to do. In Jesus' name, amen.